Hey, so Jesse, we talk a lot about college on this show. Yeah, we do. And what we actually mean is Avondale University College, where we both got our bachelor degrees in ministry and theology. Yeah. And, you know, that's also where we became buddies and we lived in the dorms. We ate at the calf, walked to class in the sunshine. It was great. It was great. We had late night Maccas runs. We led in worship and uh, we also met some of our closest friends there. Absolutely. Probably one too many late night Maccas runs for me. But, you know, honestly, studying at Avondale was the best. And we're so stoked to say that this episode is sponsored by Avondale University College. Called to make a difference? Called to beat Avondale. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I am Josh. And this is a show where we save the best and burn the rest. Take that, rest. Take take that. You never had a chance. <laughs> what are you even doing here? Get out of here. Yeah, so as you guys probably have heard, uh, maybe seen in the, the title, today we're talking about uh, someone named Herman. Yes, Herman. Herman who? Herman who? Herman Newtics. Herman Newtics. <laughs> it's a little bit of a Bible joke there for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's a star really. So anyway, uh, we'll get into that uh, soon, I guess. Yeah. But before we do, um, Jesse, hey, how you doing? I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. Uh, it's uh, it's it's a bit of a it's a quiet week for me this week, which I'm really happy about. I've had a few pretty busy back-to-back weeks and it's nice to just kind of take a little bit of a breather and relax um not that i'm relaxing i'm still working hard i'm just doing it in a more placid uh modus operandi you know and things like that you don't have to defend it man i won't be upset if you're not working hard if you're like barely doing anything this week i won't be mad i just hope my boss isn't listening that's all good though (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no it's been good it's been good how are you yeah no i'm great well you know i thought this week would also be a a, a bit of a slower week for me but um i yeah it's actually still been pretty pretty full on this morning i was recording a message for the beautiful burwood church in oh, melbourne lovely so that will it well we're recording well no wait this drops wednesday, wednesday 26th 26th. of august yeah yeah so that sermon comes out this sabbath i think on their, yeah, so that's cool. Um, it's kind of it's kind of funny, like guest preaching for a church, but you're not there. Yeah, you know, it's it's a bit of a weird phenomenon. Yeah, so, like I have no idea how they'll, you know, like what they'll think of the message. You don't, I don't know. Like yeah. maybe I'll get feedback from them, but yeah, yeah, it's kind of kind of a weird experience. You guys are pretty lucky because you have a great setup, a little team there help you record everything it's i'm like super jealous you got a really really cool it's it's awesome man ah yeah it's it's great fun today um yeah we did a whole new setup today for the video which was really fun it took us ages spent like half an hour just detangling fairy lights but (laughs) 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 i think the final product came out really nice so have you become have you become an expert at stage design and all things like shots or is that you just pass it on to everybody else. That's your job. 
Yeah, pretty much. Well, no, I said, hey, let's do it in front of fairy lights. That'd look cool because I had some hanging up in my office. So I just yeah. took them down and hung them. We had somewhere we were going to hang them. We couldn't hang them there. So we had to move somewhere else. And um, my big thing is like, could we make the background any blurrier? Can it be any blurrier? Bokeh. Blurry. Increase the blur. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and uh, Alicia, who helps me out with it, our secretary slash, I don't know, digivangelist. Is that a good word? She's That's still, a beautiful does word. All, all of our digital stuff online. Um, which is really cool. She's also a professional photographer, so she knows how to get the blurry goodness on the background. I love it. That, that YouTube aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's cool, man. I gotta, I gotta admit, it is, it is. Uh, I think this whole, this whole situation that we're in is turning mo- us more and more into content creators than than actual preachers. Um, you've been doing it a lot more than I have. I've been pretty lucky in that sense. We've got. We've been doing all sorts of really strange and off-the-wall stuff in our church, which is great. But you guys have been really going hard in on the uh, digital sermons and stuff, so it's really cool to see. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny. I've I haven't watched all of your church's uh, live streams when when we were in full lockdown, but mm. I really enjoyed the ones I did watch because there was so much variety. They were so different every week, and I thought that was really quite engaging. Yeah. Whereas ours was very similar every week, which isn't bad. I don't know. It was very consistent. I don't know what's I don't know what's good or bad. Well, I think but, that's the good thing is mm. different strokes for different folks. And one thing that you guys did really well and are continuing to do very well is honing that sort of consistent, predictable sort of model of producing really good content and like every week getting a little bit better, which is really cool. Mm. Yeah, so. that's it. Does feel like every week we do improve, and I like I like that feeling. Yeah, and I mean we're back to online church at the moment. I don't think you guys are still meeting in person, hey? Yeah, well, we're online? meeting in homes. It's just easier for us because we're a smaller church, so we don't have to worry about getting. You know, we do. We still do the contact tracing stuff as yep. like everybody's supposed to, but yeah, it's just easier for us to meet in homes and not have to deal with. Uh, like a hired facility that other people have used and uh, right, because then True. you have to do the whole cleaning thing which I'm sure you guys would be <laughs> having to do if you were meeting in person right now which is not great yeah that was the big hard point for us I mean maybe if level 2 goes on a lot longer maybe maybe we would revisit it but yeah, yeah it, the, the hardest part is the social distancing in our particular building is a bit difficult and also yeah. the cleaning and like locking, like just because there's so many rooms. So we'd have to not use a whole bunch of the rooms to make the cleaning even feasible to do because you have to do it before, after, and then after the next service as well. And if we had to do three services, we'd have to do like three times of cleaning. I'm like, man, that's too much cleaning. And here's something that I didn't realize before. Um, pews are really your worst enemy when it comes to social distancing and non-transmission because you have mm. a seating um, sort of thing that everybody sits on and if you are wanting to move further you have to slide along it so you can't avoid touching it at different parts so then you end up having to true. disinfect the whole thing rather than just moving chairs further apart like true hadn't pew, thought about that pews are really not built for it mm. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah yeah but hey we continue we soldier on <laughs> it's one of the things that you kind of just have to do it you know, otherwise you go crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I feel like we can't really. New Zealand's still a really good place to be amidst all of yeah. this. So I'm yeah. not really upset. It's more just, yeah, it's just so, the job is so different yeah. now. 
you know, and I think it will continue to be different. Yeah. I was actually just thinking to myself, like as great as any tertiary education place would be for equipping you to be a pastor, they no place could have predicted this kind of thing. Like you can't no. really be trained for the world you're going to be delivered into. I don't think you can in any profession, really. No. Not at all. Because it just changes so much. Um, even high school, you know what I mean? Like everything just changes so much once you're out in the real world. It all changes so quickly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... And I was thinking like maybe maybe like in now in pastor's degrees, there should be like a whole subject or unit on digital digital ministry now. Like I was thinking about it. There's enough content because you've got like camera presence, you've got content planning, you've got how to manage social media well, like good interactions, bad interactions, all that kind of stuff. Like there's a lot that goes into online ministry just I, from a pastoral perspective. I think even, take it seriously. even if it wasn't for COVID... I think that's still a needed thing in ministry because I agree. It's not like we're going to go back to the dark ages anytime soon. I mean, at least I hope we're not. But you know, if the way <laughs> what else has twenty twenty got in store for us? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we don't go down that road, uh, we're going to need more and more, um, yeah, knowledge of how to engage online. Uh, yeah, I feel like every person we've ever had on the podcast who is like a digital evangelism sort of advocate is like jumping up and down right now going, we told you this whole time. <laughs> Why didn't you listen? <laughs> but yeah. Um, but hey, speaking of education and learning and all that good stuff, we have been on a journey uh, on how to read scripture responsibly. And last week we did our very best to... Uh, give you guys some tools and tips on how to exegete uh, scripture, specifically the act of drawing out the original meaning of the text without trying to overlay our own presuppositions and biases and all that good stuff. Um, and we picked a fairly <laughs> controversial text to do that with, one that has caused... Uh, much discussion amongst the body of Christ over the years. Um, mm. And we tried as hard as we could to not overlay our own our own biases over that and try to bring you uh, what we consider a faithful exegetical interpretation of what was going on in the occasion, all that sort of stuff. And so today what we're going to do is we are going to do that next step. We are going to talk to our good friend Herman and <laughs> we are going to talk all about hermeneutics. Um, so, Josh, if you could encapsulate uh, hermeneutics in a sentence or a phrase, what would you what would you say it is? In a sentence or a phrase? Yeah, I'm giving you a little out in case you want to put more than one sentence in there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, hey, well, I would just say, oh, I don't know. I, I think in the context of this, I would just say it's the next step after exegesis. It's now let's let's bring some application to our lives, interpretation for the use of application in life. Yeah. It's probably how I would put it in its most simple term. Yeah, I think interpretation is that is the key phrase there, right? I think mm. because if we look if we are reading the Bible, we're interpreting the Bible. Um, a lot of people would say that we just have to read the Bible 
and do what it says. We just have to read the Bible and obey it. We just have to read it in its plainest form and we're not interpreting. We're just doing what the Bible says. But if we yeah. really scratch the surface, that's just I think that's I think that's a fairly uh, naive point of view. It would be nice if it was that that straightforward, I guess. Yeah. But it's just not if we're honest with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, look, you may dis- uh, agree or disagree with that statement, uh, but we are going to talk today all about uh, what it actually looks like to interpret the Bible, uh, what it means to form a hermeneutic. You know, I found I found this interesting when I was thinking about this this morning, Josh, is um, when you do exegesis, you will exegete, but when you form a hermeneutic, you can't hermeneute or anything like that. You can't turn it into a verb, which I find uh. a little bit disturbing for my OCD because they go together. <laughs> I can exegete, True. but I can't hermeneute. Or maybe I can. I don't know. Maybe you can't. I've never heard that word, but I feel like it should be a word if it's not. <laughs> we'll, make it I'll a, just, we'll make it a word. Because now I could just be like, hey, Jesse, hermeneute that for me. <laughs> could you just whip up a hermeneute pretty quick? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hermeneuting here, okay? I'm hermeneuting. <laughs> or maybe it's meant to be sh- shorter. It's herming. Herming. I'm herming. Jesse, you're herming me. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Uh, what is this podcast? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but okay. so anyway, we, uh, we are going to do our best to uh, provide you with some tools for hermeneutics and then we are going to put those tools into practice and we are going to provide or form a hermeneutic uh, around mm. this passage that we have been looking at the last uh, last week and this week. Yeah. Um, hey, before we get into it, can I can I share some quick hermeneutic trivia? Love it. Yeah. Our fellow friends and family and I don't know, haystack burners, all alike, um, all of us together. The word hermeneutic... Uh, do you know the word origin, Jesse? I actually don't. Ah, it's pretty fun, actually. It no. comes from uh, the Greek word Hermes because oh. he was in the Greek um, like religious system, the stories of their gods. He was like the messenger of the gods. So it's yeah. bringing the message of God to the people because whenever they, the gods wanted to say something to the people, they'd be like, Hermes, you're up. Get down there. <laughs> so, Yeah. So that's where, and so classic, classic Greek paganism chipping its way into Christianity <laughs> in every way. Um, uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's where the word comes from. So ah. it's kind of cool when you think about it like that. It's like we're, we're now, we're getting the message of God. That's so interesting. Receiving it. Yeah. Yeah. From, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting as well. This is, this is another little aside just before we get into the actual bread and butter, but... Um, you know, a lot of people often ask why there are so many, if there's only one Bible and there's only one God and there's only one Jesus, why are there so many different interpretations or different denominations and expressions of uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus? And I think the answer is in hermeneutics um, because everybody does hermeneutics when they read the Bible, even if they know it or not, um, because of that reason people just interpret it differently. Um, mm. And yeah, so hermen- hermeneutics is actually, it's not our enemy. It's not um, something that we have to avoid. Uh, it is inevitable. Uh, so I think that we need to embrace it as much as, 
you know, as much as good exegesis, doing good hermeneutics is also really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think probably the best place to start would be to describe the sort of hermeneutics that most of us do. Um, we, I've already referenced this a little bit, and that is the what some people call different people have different terms for this. So the first type of hermeneutic that we usually do, uh, I'd say that most Christians do, is kind of like the common sense hermeneutic. So. We're reading uh, scripture and we read a particular passage and we use our common sense or our just our everyday faculties, our reason, our cultural background, our education, our knowledge, and we form a hermeneutic based on that. Um, yeah. Would you say this is the kind of one where, you know, you're all in a small group together and then the small group leader goes what does this passage mean to you? Mm. And then you'll go around the circle and you kind of share what it means to you. This is kind of the probably the place where you hear this the most because it's like your own experience and common sense. Yes. Yes, mm. I, w- I would definitely agree. I would, de- And I would also say that probably the other place that we see this most often is in our daily devotional reading, you know, because if we're doing uh, daily devotional on our own or maybe with your partner or, you know, a friend or whatever, uh, you are typically just reading the Bible. You don't, most people don't have like a concordance or a Bible dictionary or a commentary out in front of them, although some people do do that. Um, mm. But if you don't, you're just reading the Bible. You're asking God's spirit to speak to you, to give you that that sort of little nugget for the day that you need to get through the, through the day or whatever. You yeah. are doing a hermeneutic based on, just the the basic tools that you have at your disposal. Yeah. The old give me the Jeremiah 29:11 or something for the day. I just need to that promise that I can apply to my life and get through the day. Exactly. Know, something like that. Exactly. And and I should I should mention that, you know, I'm not saying that this is wrong or bad, um, but I think it is the first step and it shouldn't be the last step when we come to do our hermeneutics. Um, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, because, well, here's the thing. Um, when it comes to hermeneutics and when it comes to actually interpreting scripture, um, we all as Christians, whether we like it or not, we pick and choose which passages to emphasize and which to de-emphasize, which ones <laughs> to make as you know general rules for everyone all the time and which ones are specific. Um, and one of the things that we try to accomplish when it comes to exegeting a particular passage is to figure out what did this mean to the original audience. And hermeneutics is that next step. It's going, okay, if I can establish what this meant to the original audience, now let's contextualize that to my situation. And that's often where we kind of get stuck, right? We, we kind of go, all right, I maybe can get my head around to a certain degree what was going going on in the original passage, whether it's a New Testament letter or, um, you know, a biographical account of a prophet's life or perhaps a king or perhaps, you know, even in the Gospels of Jesus. I can figure that out. But then my world is so far away and apart from everything that these people are experiencing 
how can I transport this into my everyday life? And I think that's often where a lot of people get stuck and we end up either doing bad hermeneutics or we just kind of don't do a hermeneutic and we kind of skip over it. Does that sound sort of, yeah, to you? Yeah. No, no, that, I don't think you're right. I mean, like some people would be like, I know some people who would instantly arch their backs and be like, wait a minute, I don't pick and choose. I try and listen to the whole Bible and try and do everything it says. And the first <laughs> thing I pretty much always say to them is like, well, when's the last time you greeted someone with a holy kiss? Right. Exactly. That's got like four or five mentions in the New Testament. And so many people are willing to like land on, well, you know, women should be silent in church or whatever, but then they don't do the holy or they've made no effort to make the application for the holy kiss or they'll say that that's, 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 you know, back for that culture or whatever. Right. doesn't work in ours, which could be a fair, it could be a fair exegesis, but I would want to hear that same thought carried out now I'm like, hey, if anybody wants to start greeting each other with a holy kiss hey, go for gold i'm not going to stop you <laughs> man i'm i'm married to a mauritian every time i'm at a mauritian <laughs> gathering there are a lot of holy kisses going around except i don't think they call it that I... <laughs> there's a lot of kissing i still don't know what 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 uh, like what makes it a holy kiss you know that's what i'm trying to work out well, that's right it... what am i supposed that's a, that's a, that okay as a, as a pastor that's probably the, pa- the the parts of scripture that i'm the most like Am I supposed to be doing something with this? Or am I supposed to just leave this in a this is a first church, this is an early church kind of thing. Yeah. You know, this is a this is a Asia Minor kind of thing. This isn't a thing that carries to New Zealand. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe I should be. But then I, I don't feel like I I don't feel no. I don't know. But I think <laughs> you know what I, mean? I think that's what we're saying though, in in terms of we pick and choose because I, I think we have most Christians have very solid categories of okay this one's for me and this is maybe not just for me but for everyone right so this is something that's for everyone at every time in every culture and then over here in this other category is something that well that was just a little bit old-fashioned or that was contextual to the culture we're just going to leave that in the first century uh the trouble with that is figuring out what goes and what stays yeah, right. and so that's a decision of, I guess, hermeneutic, but it ha- that would have to come through exegesis. Exactly. That would have to come through thorough exegesis to make that call. Which is why Which is, we spent yeah. two whole episodes on exegesis because we cannot, you like, FYI, if you haven't listened to the previous two episodes, then you really should go back and do that because what we're talking about right now is really not for somebody who hasn't gone through and done that work already, so... That's yeah, it would be like watching Star Wars Episode Six and not watching any of the others. Correct, It'd be a horrible experience. Well, not a horrible experience, but a, 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 a not not as fulfilling. Let's say. Sure, you <laughs> wouldn't you wouldn't understand who the main characters are. You wouldn't understand why the plot hinges on certain moments. What the what everybody's trying to accomplish. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it would be confusing. Be you got to be picking up what we're putting down, you know? Yeah. So, all right. So, yeah. I, so, I think in the end, I think you're right that, yeah, we do pick and choose and we have these categories and boxes we throw things into, which is just, yeah, again, it's it's just a thing. We, we all do it. Like I just yeah. said, I'm still trying to work. I, prob- I need to do some good exegesis on that idea of the holy kiss because i got to figure it out. Um, but I could look into it and then legitimately find... Oh, this is actually just probably an Asia Minor thing. This is right. as in from that 
that cultural context, I probably don't need to carry this on. Yeah. You know, but that's, yeah, it's a, it's a decision that you, you got to work for a little bit. And that's good. See, that's the thing where the plain reading of the text doesn't really, doesn't really carry it over. And some people might say, you know what, in our church, we're going to start doing it. Yeah. We want to be just like the early church. And I don't know, maybe, maybe that is good for them. I don't know. Well, there's actually a really good example of this in the passage that we talked about last week. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34 to 35. If you remember our conversation from last week, we talked about how it's sort of an addendum or like a little note at the at the very end of a much larger conversation. Um, and actually, if you just go a few verses beforehand, you'll see a really good example of something that I would say most Christians, certainly most Christians in our particular faith tradition have chosen to ignore. So I'm just going to put it out there to people who would look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34 to 35. If you believe that this passage is something which we are to take literally and are to apply to all people at all times and you want to apply it today in terms of women keeping silent in church, um, I would just invite you to consider verse 26 through 33. So uh, I'll read it from the ESV. Uh, It says, Paul says here, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at at, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. And then he goes on to say the women should keep silent in the churches and so on and so forth. So, Here's the thing that we have to contend with just right now in this moment, right? So if you're the sort of person who would tend to take First uh, Corinthians 14, 34 to 35, literally, why not the passages beforehand, right? Mm. If we are to take this whole thing literally, then what is this? What are we? What is this incumbent? What, what do we have to do? Like, okay, so when we gather together, we have to come with a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. So is that like every single person has to come with that? Well, it seems to say that if we're going to take it literally. Interesting. Right. Yeah. See that? Yeah. See, that's not a good hermeneutic to to dance between. Oh, that's fine. That No, this is this is legit though. This is still got to stay. That's fine. This is good. No, this can't. Yeah. Like that's I don't know. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> I think I think probably the worst hermeneutic um just to kind of we won't spend too much time on this particular viewpoint, but I just wanted to use it as an illustration. Um but I will also say that you know, we've talked about proof texting before. I think we we dedicated an entire episode to it like 
ages ago. Um, I have no idea when that was. But <laughs> basically, I think the worst form of this sort of hermeneutic, this plain reading, this common sense hermeneutic that we're talking about is in that proof texting model where I will ignore anything outside of this particular passage that I need to prove my case and I'll string through a variety of different Bible texts just to prove my point or to confirm my position, right? So mm. uh, when, when it comes to this sort of hermeneutic, um, it's hard because essentially what we're saying is we want our cake and we want to eat it too. We, we, we want to have it all. We want to be able to clearly define what is for us right now and in every age and what is something that we can leave behind in the New Testament. And we want to do that not usually based on good biblical study, but based on what I already have decided is true and right and proper. Um, mm. uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry if that sounds too strong, but I, 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 I think it's important to be said like openly that if this is what we're doing, then... Um, I think, I mean, I think it's also important to say that it's not like we have it all together and we get it perfect every time. Correct. You know, like we're coming at this as people who know that there's a problem, who want to learn to see if they're doing that same thing themselves. Yeah. Like to humble humble yourself before coming to the scripture again, doing the exegesis and then asking honestly, does this, does this, what does this really look like today? Yeah. And you won't, you might not always get it right the first time as well. That's, that's the hard part too. You might think about it and then you might bring it to your church family or your leaders and I don't know, maybe they'll talk something else. Like maybe they'll say, oh no, 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 you missed this. Or maybe they'll say, oh, maybe that is good. I don't know. It's, Mm. yeah, it's, you gotta, you gotta be humble. Like humbling yourself before reading scripture, it's, it's, it's harder than harder than what it seems. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Because what if we decided like that passage is Corinthians? What if we decided actually, you know, that's like maybe maybe like so, let's say Jesse and I went and started a church, and then we were really convicted on that whole First Corinthians thing. And we were like, actually, no. Well, that means that we got to change the whole model of church because now yeah. we need everybody to come with something to share. That's it's pretty drastic. It's not what. It's a, yeah, it's a huge model change. Yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 huge. Um, which is yeah, I, and I think yeah. At the at the end of it, it's it's humility, and we have to approach with humility. That's why you know at the beginning we said that when we actually go to do our hermeneutic, it is a hermeneutic. It is not the hermeneutic. Um, mm. And I, I think that's possibly one of the mindsets that we need to get out of, is that whatever hermeneutic I come up with is the hermeneutic for now and forever. Amen, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I think I, I think this is a uh, mm, I don't know. I might get we might get in a bit of we might cop a bit of a bit of stick for this um that like a lot of people think there is only one interpretation of each scripture. Yeah. And I get I think I get where they're coming from in saying that and I I think I agree in some ways, like maybe with some pieces, like definitely with some pieces of scripture more than others, but others are so, uh, yeah, the the cultural difference between now and then is so big that I think the lines are a bit blurry with with some interpretations of some scriptures as to what, what we're doing. I think you can be pretty faithful to, this, to the scripture and come to two, two different conclusions yeah. faithfully 
And I think we need to be okay with that too. And well, I think you gr- you grow as well with it. But anyway, I what were you going to say? I agree. No, I was just going to say, I mean, look, we, as Seventh-day Adventists, we belong in the sort of more Arminian camp of, you know, when it comes to salvation and how we relate to freedom and choice. Uh, but there are so many other readings of scripture that change fundamentally the way that you read scripture. Now, I am firmly Arminian. I believe that Jesus has given us free choice whether we want to believe in him or not. Um, But I also acknowledge that there are many Christians who I would consider orthodox, God-fearing, Jesus-faithful Christians who are Calvinist. I thoroughly disagree with the tenets of Calvinism of predestination, of um, you know, what total depravity of the uh, the the what should we call it? Um, total what's the total thing? Human depravity? Would it, no, yeah, the, yeah. And the thing with um, tulip is that where you? Oh yeah. The, <laughs> yeah, I remember tulip. the tenets of Calvinism. <laughs> is our theology classes coming back oh, to haunt us? I was thinking yeah. of. Dr. Wendy Jackson from Avondale, man, those are the days. Oh, she's a star. I still remember it. See, that's a good thing. What a great lecturer. No, it's the part of Calvinism where it's uh, irresistible grace, you know. Ah, yes. That's what I was trying to think of, right? So I don't believe that stuff, but I recognize that, that those who believe it are also brothers and sisters in Christ. As uncomfortable as that makes me feel, um... I have to live with that. I think mm-hmm. we all have to live with that. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. Hey, just to fill everybody in, while at why I mentioned tulips before, um, just there's an acronym for remembering the five yeah. key beliefs of Do you Calvinism. Remember, so, so the first is total depravity. I don't remember. I was going to say, I don't remember them all right now. Yeah. I, I'm sure if I looked it up, I'd remember them all. But if you guys want to Google it, it's a great time uh, learning a little <laughs> bit about Calvinism. And if you are Calvinist, let us know what you think of Tulip. Does it cover what you believe? It's beautiful. Um, anyway. <laughs> it's very floral. I yeah. love it. So, oh, goodness. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, shall we, shall we talk a little bit about um, what we believe is a more faithful hermeneutic? For or a faithful process for developing a good hermeneutic, perhaps. Sure, Jesse. Let's I, do it. Oh, okay. I'm glad. I'm glad you. If you said no, I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> no, let's end the episode there. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so basically. Oh, and by the way, if you guys want to get more into uh, this particular topic, uh, the book that I recommend is How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's been mentioned a few times, but there is a really great chapter on hermeneutics um, in this book, which we are referencing. So, uh, yeah. Really good resource. So the first thing I would say, uh, well, actually what uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart say in the book is that a text cannot mean what it never could have meant to its author or its readers. So as a as a very basic starting point, um, when we are developing a hermeneutic, if what we interpret out of a text goes against or is completely out of the gate of what it could have meant to its author or its original audience, then we can probably safely shelve it. Um, yep. So, so this is something which many, many people have gotten themselves into trouble about. I mean, 
Jeremiah, you know, 29, 11 is one of the ones that really comes to mind. Um, it's, it's, it's sort of this um, once for all really big hopeful passage of scripture, which has given hope and, and comfort to millions of Christians uh, worldwide for millennia. But uh, unfortunately, it is a very specific passage of scripture written to a very specific passage of pe- uh, portion of people at a very particular point in time. That doesn't yeah. mean, yeah, it doesn't mean that it can't give us hope today, but we uh, often apply and superimpose a whole lot of meaning over it, which the original author never meant and which the original audience never received. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, I I'm not okay with people mis <laughs> sounds horrible, but I'm I'm okay with people misusing Jeremiah Jeremiah 29:11 because I think <laughs> the way they're misusing it, it's still true. You know, I think it's still true of what God you know, that God does have a plan for you. It's just a it's just a weird it's just weird when you put it in context, it's like a weird way to it's kind of a, just a weird. It, it just becomes a bit more janky. Maybe that's a word. I'm like, yeah. yeah, that whole thing's about yeah. You're you're like they're they're going into um, what is it? exile. Like they're in exile. Yeah, you know, like that's anyway. It's a it's a bit different, but yeah. it, you know, it's still kind of true in a way. So it's it's kind of harmless. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. And that I think I, and that, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, I was just gonna say it. Just I think it more comes under. Uh, what we're going to talk about a little bit later on, which is extended application, which is a totally viable uh, way of looking at scripture as long as we stay within some parameters. But I think that to just use Jeremiah 29, 11 outside of its original context and give no, um, give no mention of that, I think is somewhat problematic. Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so when we're reading scripture, if what we read, uh, and what we interpret could never have occurred to the original author or its original audience, um, then I think we need to reassess. And really that is what exegesis is all about, right? So if we are exegeting a passage first and we are trying to determine the authorial intent and sort of figuring out how the audience may have reacted or received it, uh, then we have a really, really great foundation upon which to develop a hermeneutic for ourselves. Um, mm. And so that's that's really the first that's really the first task. Um, yeah, anything else that you would say on that particular point, Josh? Nah, man. No, that's good. Cool. I, I think that's a really good parameter to work with, and um, it's also good. I, I um, yeah. I guess like th- this is why I think over time I've become a little bit more critical of other other preachers sometimes. Not because you know I'm just trying to critique, like cr- be critical. It's more that like there are sometimes I've heard like really big name preachers, and you listen to. I'm not saying all their sermons are bad, but sometimes I'll, I'll listen to one, and I'm like. I really think that's a stretch. Like that, right, that's yeah. what that's what that would have meant. You know, like it just feels not quite. You know what I mean? Like the more you read into the Bible, and you know, and I'm I'm not having. It could be an honest mistake. Or it could be me not recognizing something as well. But yeah, I I think it's 
it's good to always, this is why I always recommend to people like any, any like passages or whatever that you hear people preaching on before you base too much of your theology on it, make sure you just read it for yourself and yeah. take the time to study it a bit. Um, I, I, don't I don't think, know. and here's, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying and I don't think it's, it's never like out of a like ill intent, right? It's never out of like a wanting to deceive. It seems like it, but it just seems that we hope not. Well, you hope not. That's right. Yeah. But what it seems to me, because I've I've thought the same thing as well, um, is maybe maybe it's it's just you know kind of just oh I don't know if I want to say <laughs> maybe yeah, like maybe cap- I got- capitalizing on people's ignorance of scripture in a way, you know there could be some of that. I don't think it's that most of the time. What do you think it is? I, I think it's just I, I think it's just eisegesis kicking in. To okay. be honest, I think people get an idea. Okay, the biggest the biggest names. I'm not going to say the names because I don't want to like be ragging on any preachers here. I love listening to any preacher, and I think the amazing thing is the Holy Spirit can use the most poorly exegeted, <laughs> you know, worst thought out message and like lamest hermeneutic ever and somehow the Holy Spirit can still always use it to bring yeah. people closer to Jesus. So at the end of the day, like that's the Holy Spirit is the best and I, I don't want that's I'm we're trying to be more practical with this. So yeah. but the Holy Spirit is the best for hermeneutic um like bringing the hermeneutics. So mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit can use it, but it's it's more like the ones that I, I find are the biggest ones who I just think take things a little bit too far out from what they originally meant the ones who try and be too much of like a motivational speaker and gotcha. i think they're trying to take something that wasn't intended to be that kind of message and they're turning it into this really motivational sort of style message yeah which is you know like i need motivation sometimes too i, I appreciate it and they can sound really good and sometimes there's genuinely good ideas they just use weird scriptures to back it up yeah yeah it's it's starting with the idea and then finding the scripture that can loosely support your idea. Yeah, I think uh, I think that that can happen. So, yeah, I don't know. That's that's why. Like, uh, I think yeah, that's that's why. Like, having something like this is what could this have ever actually meant anything like that to the original yeah. audience is a really great boundary line. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's a boundary line, and that's I think that's what we need because. When we form a hermeneutic, a lot of the time it is very easy for us to just try and relate to uh, our situation without doing too much thinking about, you know, how it possibly could have been taken in the uh, in the in the first century or whatever context it was in. And and to be clear, most of the time it's pretty harmless. But there are passages like the passage that we're studying today that are really important because it affects the way that we view an entire gender and their role in the body of Christ. And it's really important that we get this right and we stay within these boundaries because if we don't, then that could mean really, really uh, dangerous stuff for the church. And we can all probably attest to experiences where this particular passage has been used to denigrate the role of women in the church. Um, Totally. Yeah. So sometimes it's harmless like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, but in this particular case, it's actually really quite serious. So it's affecting 51 percent of the church That's and right. how they could be affecting how they see God. It's not good. Yeah. 
Um, okay, yeah. Do, do we have any other boundaries? Yeah, there, there is a second rule um, that they lay out in the book and it goes a little bit like this. Uh, they say, whenever we share comparable particulars, aka similar life situations, um, yeah, that sort of stuff, with the first century hearers, God's word to us is the same as his word to them. All right. So I'll say that one more time and maybe we can rephrase afterwards if if it's a little bit more because it's quite wordy. But here's what they say. Whenever we share comparable particulars with the first century audience, God's word to us is the same as his word to them. Right. So if what we are experiencing in our day to day life uh, is similar or the same as the original audience's situation or um, their whatever's going on in their lives, then whatever advice, uh, divine word or wisdom was to them is the same wisdom to us, right? Mm. So, for instance, you know, there are certain situations in the Bible that probably you and I will never have much won't have much bearing. So the holy kiss, I suppose, is a good example of this. This is obviously a reference to something that was happening in the church at this particular cultural moment. And it's just kind of one of those things that has been lost to the ethers of time. We don't really know what a holy kiss is today. Certainly not that many people do it, especially not in the context of the body of Christ. And yet there are other things in the scriptural text that hit us really close to home. Yeah. Right? So John 3.16 isn't just reserved for Nicodemus or, or, or even the apostles. John 3.16 is just as impactful for us today as it was when Jesus uttered those words 2,000 years ago. Um, mm. So if we find ourselves in the same position or a similar position and we are able to do the exegetical work then it's like God's word is still echoing throughout eternity to us right now. Mm. And I think sometimes, and this is why I think your hermeneutic will grow over time because you can, the more, the more, the longer you're alive, the more situations you're in. And some of the situations we're in are never going to be the same. Like what you're saying. Well, they might most likely. But you know, if you're in if you're in prison and you read some of Paul's letters that he wrote from prison, some of that's going to hit you differently than it ever would have in your life outside of prison, right? Hmm. I imagine. Yeah. Obviously, I haven't been in prison. Or, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, there's uh, like, or even if if the church, um, if you're living in a part of the world where the church is under serious persecution, there is probably way more of the Bible that you, is just coming to life way more than than w- what it does for us in our context. We're, yeah. we're not really, we're not really, per- we like to think we're persecuted well, sometimes here in the West, but it's I've pretty let, light, I've, minor I've preached, persecution. I preach sermons and led Bible studies when we read those passages, like consider it pure joy when you fight, face trials of many kinds. And most of the time people come up with really mundane life examples like oh my week was really busy or my child is acting out or my boss is really tyrannical it's not like the first century where it's 
people are trying to kill me because I believe in Jesus. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit different. Yeah. Or it's like, I, I can't eat because I'm not worshipping Caesar right. or whatever, you know? Like it's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're definitely in pretty easy times. I mean, it feels... High, and that's the thing. Like it feels hard at times to be a Christian. Like I'm not trying to undermine the difficulties of being a Christian in any culture. It can, there can, are always difficulties, but... Like, let's be real here. There's yeah. some way worse persecutions in parts of the world today. If you're a Christian living in Syria or North Korea or yeah. Iran, like you're going to read, you're going to form a hermeneutic completely differently to anyone living in New Zealand or the UK or the US. Like it's yeah. totally different. And even being like a, a racially, like my, a, a racial minority. Yeah. Um, or an oppressed, uh, an oppressed people in general, like just culturally, pretty much the whole Old Testament will probably read differently to you because most of it, the Jews are like just being oppressed the entire time and under the boot of another empire. There's hmm. When they're under David, they're doing pretty well and, and <laughs> Solomon, but yeah, like for the most part, it's pretty hard. And even I guess in the New Testament too, you see that same... I guess like reading the book of Revelation, that kind of thing, you see those same pictures coming through as well. So, yeah, I think as you go through life and even the more empathy you can have for other people, mm. it's actually going to affect your hermeneutic over time. Like you're going to see and read things differently and things are going to pop out to you. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a yeah. reason why we have liberation theology, you know, and that that didn't develop in the West. That developed in South America. And it developed for a very specific reason and it meant a very specific thing to uh, those who developed it and who lived uh, within that that narrative. So, oh. yeah, yeah. It's, uh, we don't really have time to go into today, but it is worth a Google, friends. Check out Liberation Theology when you get time. Yeah. Or maybe we'll do a podcast on it one day. That could be a bit of fun. But right now, yeah. just Google it. It's a great time. Uh, so the last thing that I would say before we actually go into the meat and potatoes of... Uh, developing a hermeneutic for this particular Bible text is to talk about extended application. Now, extended application is one of those things that is a real gray area. Um, now, one of the things that uh, we often think about when it comes to um, the Bible, again, as we overlay our own information, our own uh, mindset over it, is we end up with... Uh, interpretations of scripture that often were never there. So in the book, they use the example of 2 Corinthians 6, 14, which is do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Uh, so Josh, when you heard this passage growing up, what did you always associate it with? I think the only time I ever heard this was in relate like with dating. Yeah. It so, was like, don't, don't date non-Christians basically. Yeah. Well, actually, I heard well, the first time I heard it was don't date non-Adventists. It's like, wow. <laughs> that's a little bit more know, extreme. Didn't know that was in the Bible, but there it is. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. That's the yeah. thing. Um, so one of the things that we often don't realize is that this is actually a complete uh, misinterpretation of the passage. The problem is, is we don't actually have a good model for understanding uh, and I'm sure somebody's done a dissertation on this or written a book on this. So I'm sure there is information out there um, of, of figuring out what this was. But they talk about how in the ancient era, there was no 
association between being yoked and being in a relationship or marriage to somebody. Mm. So, in this particular case, um, to say that being unequally yoked with uh, an unbeliever is to marry them, well, it's a metaphor that we just have now in the 21st century, but apparently was never a metaphor in the first century. So, this leaves the passage really ambiguous as to what the actual meaning is. However, there is something called extended application. And extended application basically says, if we don't know what the exact meaning of the passage is, can we infer its meaning, if not then, for now, based on corroboration with other sources of scripture? So, for instance, if you were to say, use 2 Corinthians 6.14 to tell your youth group to not date unbelievers um, and you were to back that up with other parts of scripture that corroborated that viewpoint, then you could not say this is a viable hermeneutic based on my exegesis. What you could say, though, is this is a viable hermeneutic based on my extended application because it is corroborated by other parts of scripture. So, yeah, yeah. You're you're taking well, you're taking a principle that exists and you are applying it to something whilst admitting that the original intent, intent is probably not there. Yeah, I've, it, it can get, it can get a bit a bit tricky with extended application because yeah. it's one of those things you kind of always got to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. It's like it's pretty strip, scripturally sound, but there is a chance that it kind of is just a uh, I don't know. Yes, yeah, stepping out a little bit from it. Like I think when I preach, I tr- if I have something that I know is kind of more of extended application of a of a text. So it's I know it's not the original intent of the text, but I think it's a meaning that could be faithful to it. I just can't necessarily maybe prove that is the right word. Yeah. Um, or it's not necessarily explicit that this is what it means. I try and always, I try and actually mention that in a in a really soft way when I preach. Like I don't say, I don't say, hey guys, this is extended application uh, hermeneutic. I, I'll say, I'll, I'll say something more along. And I think this could make this could also apply to this. Yeah. You know, you know like I try yeah. and always use that because I think I'm just trying to be faithful to the to the Bible as much as I can. You know what I mean? Like well, faithfully interpreting it. Um, but it's pretty tricky because, like, every time I think about it, like even the, the sermon I, I preached this morning and, and did this morning, I was thinking about it. And I'm like, I think what I preached is, you know, like, I was because like, because we're coming to talk about hermeneutics, so all of a sudden you start getting really critical of your own hermeneutics. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if you do that. But I was like, I think it's all true. But I definitely had some extended application in that too, because I was just looking at the, like, one thing I like to do when I when I look at different stories is to try and put myself in the shoes of different people in the story and mm. learn learn but yeah. i don't know if that again i don't know if that counts as extended application but you, i mean if you are trying to bring like you're just trying to bring extra depth and more sort of texture yeah. to the to the overall thing right yeah 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 but so i think for example, but i think once well, yeah. i think if you're doing that you're not saying thus saith the lord right you're you're, no, yeah, you're, you're saying your i'm not flavor. saying this is what this text means yeah i'm just saying this is something we could 
learn from this text, I guess. I think your example of a holy kiss is a really good example of extended application because whilst we don't know what the original um, holy kiss was, we could do some extended application and say, when you greet a fellow brother or sister in Christ, greet them with joy and empathy and, with, you know, with love, right? Mm. That's, that's still a very viable hermeneutic for something that we don't have a good exegesis for. So there's an extended application. True. You know what? I just actually... Re- Sorry, this is totally off the topic. Well, it's not really off the topic. I just realized who still does holy kisses. Who? The Pope. Oh. Oh, I didn't... What? When they see, yeah, like they like kiss his rings and stuff, or kiss oh. his hand and all that kind of thing. I think that's a holy kiss. Is it? I think, it's a, I think Catholics do it. Okay. If you're a Catholic, let us know. I Yeah. I mean, in general, if you're a Catholic listening to this <laughs> podcast, I'd love to know. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, well I, you know, maybe, maybe we give them value. Yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah, pretty yeah. interested. That's cool. But yeah, no, I'm sure, I'm sure the like popes and clergy, I'm sure they, they sure. but maybe that's just an Italian thing. <laughs> it could be it could be it's like a european maybe, thing yeah maybe i'm okay oh now i'm confused I'm, yeah, i don't know man i don't oh, know I'm lost. okay sorry guys i thought i was onto something for a second there you thought right. you thought you had it you thought you nailed the exegesis i thought i cracked the code <laughs> oh, well. oh that's funny uh okay so um all right so so we've we've gotten a few we've gotten a few basic rules so we have First of all, if it never could have meant it to the original audience or the original author, it probably isn't a good interpretation for now. We have also, um, if the situations that we find ourselves in are similar to or identical to the situations uh, and the identities and all that sort of stuff that the original audience found themselves in, then God's word to them is God's word to us today. And also... um, there is such thing a thing as extended application. It is viable, uh, but we have to be careful and humble when dealing with it. Um, mm, and acknowledge it. Yeah, and acknowledge it. Cool. So with that being said, uh, as we tick up to almost an hour in our conversation, <laughs> shall we? That's the intro done. No, That's the intro done. Oh, shall we have a look? at 1 Corinthians 14, 34 to 35, and shall we try and establish a her- a hermeneutic, not the hermeneutic, but a hermeneutic uh, for the Burn the Haystack audience uh, for today? Sure. All right. Sure, we can do that. Josh, do you want, uh, what translation do you have? Because I think it would be cool to read it again in another translation. Um, oh, wait, what's the, what's the reference again? First, uh, 14, 34 to 35. First Corinthians. I forgot the chapter. So professional. Okay. So uh, I've got it in ESV. Do you want me to read from a different one? I think that's what I read from last time. But ESV is fine. I, I will find a different one to, to read from. That's a little bit on the other side. Okay. Uh, 34, 35. The women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak. Uh, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Cool. Um, The message says, Wives must not disrupt worship, talking 
when they should be listening, asking questions that could more appropriately be asked of their husbands at home. God's book of the law guides our manner and customs here. Wives have no license to use the time of worship for unwarranted speaking. Hmm. Cool. Okay, so let's let's do a little bit of recap and let's just remind ourselves where we are in the passage and what is being discussed. So first of all, uh, Paul is our author and he's writing a uh, letter to a church in the city of Corinth, a multicultural, multi uh, spiritual, uh, fairly new church, a fairly young church. Uh, apparently, they've written him a whole bunch of questions, and he's like responding to those questions. Um, and he's also just giving some good general advice. He's reacting to some stuff that's happening, and he is just giving some general good advice at the same time. Yep, a uh, good mix of Jews and Gentiles as well. <clears throat> yeah, which always seem to create complications, and also a good mix of uh, rich and poor people, um, mm. which also is causing some tensions there. Um, he has just gone on a fairly large exposition of prayer and worship, spiritual gifts, um, proper sort of behavior for when the people of God come together in, in worship. And he kind of concludes this passage with a little, it's almost like a little PS at the end, because it doesn't seem to be linked, uh, especially uh, uh, con- content- continually, <laughs> um, chronologically. <Nice. laughs> I, I don't know words. It doesn't seem to be very well linked to what comes before. It just seems to be sort of like an aside. Um, that is what it seems to be. And he, what is he, what is he responding to? Because it does seem like. Uh, there is actually something going on that is prompting this. It doesn't seem like this is just coming out of nowhere. Um, him is he is just he's not giving his anthropology of Christian women because no, there are many other parts of Paul's writing where he commends women for prophesying, for prayer, for being upstanding, faithful leaders and co-workers, and being uh, good teachers. Yeah. A good teacher is one, at least. Um, plus, I think it's worth noting, at the very end of chapter 14, um, verse 40, is how it wraps up the entire section on the church gathering together and how all that should work and bringing order. And that in the ESV says, but all things should be done decently and in order. And then he moves on to the next big issue, which is all about the theology of the resurrection of Christ. Yeah, And so that's a whole different train of thought really so i think it'd be easy to say that this is more about order in worship as a body than it is about women and you would also think that if the church at corinth was doing their gatherings in perfect order and harmony then there would be no reason for him to have to write this in the first place good mirror reading there jesse Mm. yeah so, so there's obviously something going on there, and yeah, we we only have that mirror reading sort of skill set to to go by, to try and you know do that detective work to figure out. Um, Eugene Peterson in the message actually does a pretty good job of explaining that because he kind of goes behind the scenes 
to, to give us that little thing. He says, wives must not disrupt worship talking when they should be listening, asking questions that could be more appropriately be asked of their husbands at home. So he actually, in a way, he goes behind the scenes and he does the exegetical work to sort of give us right out of the gate what is going on. So uh, one of the things that we talked about last week was how in the early church in the first century, when there was a gathering of um, people, especially in the church, men and women would sit on, on different sides of the room. Um, and the other thing that we talked about was how women in the first century, generally speaking, were for the most part uneducated. Um, if you were not rich and powerful, uh, you probably didn't have an education and you were not able to read or write or, or, you know, anything like that. So what we can infer from this situation, and again, we talked about this a little bit last week, was that in the church of Corinth there was disruption going on in the church where wives were listening to what was being said by whomever was doing the, the saying um, and they were misunderstanding what was what was happening and so they would call out to their husbands uh, and disrupting the assembly at the same time. Uh, would you... Anything to add to that, Josh? Uh, yeah, uh, I... Yeah, that's what that's what I, I think. Yeah, it's more about like they were talking so much, doing whatever that they were doing, that they were actually disrupting the entire meeting. Yeah, like it's more about. I think it's more about wives talking to each other. Yeah, I think um, because I think yeah. Last week we also learnt about the Jewish synagogue, how the women would sit separately to the men, yeah. and if you're a Gentile coming in, you probably wouldn't know how that was all supposed to work. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, this is interesting as well. When you when you add it to the the other part, we were talking about how every person is bringing a prophecy and bringing a word and worship. How mm. does that all work with this? But anyway, that's another. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's funny, you know, we have interpreted this passage as wives should not speak during the assembly or women should not speak during the assembly. So in many cases, we've actually, we've taken out the the relational aspect, the husband-wife dynamic going on in this passage. We've also yeah. taken out the, um, the, the situational aspect of actually what Paul is talking about in this situation. And it is implied, but it is not inferred. So therefore we actually have to do the work. And when we are forming a hermeneutic, it's a lot easier to not do the work and to do a hermeneutic based on our common sense, which if we are more inclined to believe women are not permitted to preach up the front, um, then this is this is a this is a, a slam dunk for us, basically. Right. But mm. if we are to scratch beneath the surface, we can see that the hermeneutic that we can form out of this is very, very different from the common sense plain reading of the scripture right mm. so do you want to do you want to give a, a a one sentence what you think the hermeneutic of this is or what we the one have we done that 
I don't well, know if we have done that. No, I don't think we have done that. Okay, so here. Okay, do we want to do that? Well, Ooh, I think we're going to leave it a bit mysterious. <laughs> no, I think we can. I think we can do a little bit. I, look, I, I think it would be unsatisfying to not actually stake a claim one way or the other. Um, but I do think it is important for us to let's compare. Okay, if 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 we take that second rule, right, and or actually if we take the first and second rule, so. If it didn't, if the author didn't mean it, and the audience didn't receive it in the same way, then we can't have it as a hermeneutic. So let's let's think about that. Do we live in a church setting where women, first of all, are for the most part illiterate, uh, or at the very least, uneducated? No, just no we don't okay. i don't know if you want to maybe answer that but we know we don't yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right okay so that's straight off the bat okay we okay there's a little bit of cultural difference there um a little bit <laughs> we have a female prime minister jesse okay I think all it's right a, huge it's quite cultural difference yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay um second of all do we live in a culture where men and women are forced to sit in different sections of the meeting room when partaking in church not in our church context, but I don't want to rule that there could be some churches in New Zealand that still do that. I'm not sure. There are certainly some churches in the world where that is probably still the reality. And actually, we should say that there are probably some parts of the world where women are, are, don't have access to the same education as, as men. It's a lot less than what it used to be, but there are probably some parts of the world where that's the case. However, for the most yep. part, not really. Yeah. Um, I think most women that I know, if they were forced to do that, would probably feel pretty offended and I would not blame them. So, okay. Yeah. Nowadays in church, we sit in family units generally. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we sit in family units that we're all sort of educated and we're, we're all fairly well-versed. We all have access, equal opportunity for the most part. And of course, that's a whole different conversation. But for the most part, we have equal opportunity to reading the scriptures, to understanding theology, to understanding our own walk with God. And I would actually say in, in many families, um, women are probably a little bit more onto it than, than the men in the situation. So, mm. um, Again, a whole other podcast, Jesse. Let's yeah, move on from that right yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Third thing, um, do we live in a context where, a church context, practically speaking, where women are constantly interrupting the church service for chatter and asking for clarification on points of theology? Women specifically, no. Do I have... Times when people are interrupting church services with chatter and random questions. Yes, but it's not refined uh, refined to just women. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's my honest answer. That's uh, that's clearly coming from a very specific place. <laughs> well, I've been in a, I've been in a lot of churches. And yeah. There's there's interruptions, but it's definitely not like. Actually, most of the time, it hasn't been women specifically doing it. Now that I think about it. Okay. But anyway, that's oh, that's good. That's good. Shame on us men, but anyway. So okay, so <laughs> those those are three those are three points where we as a culture are very different to the culture and the occasion that is being spoken into in the first century. Which means that when we go to form our hermeneutic, then our hermeneutic probably should not be the same as a hermeneutic of somebody living in the first century. 
uh, because in the first century, uh, the Corinthian church would have received this letter and they would have interpreted it based on what's going on because it was written to their context and it was written to their situation. Mm. But because we live in a such a culturally different time, yes, we have a female prime minister here in New Zealand. Um, in my lifetime, we had our first female prime minister in Australia. Uh, so we live in a very different time, which means that our hermeneutic cannot be the same as a hermeneutic that is formed in the first century. So yeah. with that, with that all in mind, any, yeah, sorry. Any, any, any points on that? No, I, I agree. Okay. Yeah. I think that, yeah, there can be some elements of our hermeneutic that'll be the same, but ultimately we're not going to arrive at the same place as the original audience. Yeah. In our hermeneutic. Anyway. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I really quite like, I really quite like how um, Eugene Peterson uh, finishes off this particular passage in verse uh, 36-ish. Through th- 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 the 30 thick thick. I'm really yeah. not going well with my words today, mate. <laughs> uh, you're doing fine. Keep um, going, man. Do you, both women and men, imagine that you're a sacred oracle determining what's right and wrong? Do you think everything revolves around you? If anyone of you thinks God has something for you to say or has inspired you to do something, please pay close attention to what I've written. This is the way the master wants it. If you won't play by these rules, God can't use you. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Three things then to sum this up. When you speak forth God's truth, speak your heart out. Don't tell people how they should or shouldn't pray when they're praying in tongues that you don't understand. Be courteous and considerate in everything. Or, as the ESV puts it, but in all things, but all things should be done decently and in order. Mm. So, to me, when I look at this particular passage and I think of the first century context and I understand even if it's a very cursory understanding, like I'm not, we're not deep, deep into the 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 social and the the cultural occasion of this particular um, little episode. And I think of the hermeneutic that I could form out of this. It has very little thing. It has very little to do with gender to me. Like, yeah, no, I would agree. Yeah, uh, to me. Well, can I just say what I think? Yeah, I, how I would. Yeah, I, I think this is all about how when you gather together. It shouldn't be a mess. What you want is everybody needs to get something out of the gathering. And so each of you should be respectful of who's talking, about what's going on and have an order to the whole thing so that you respect everybody's time and you respect everybody's voice. Yeah. That's how I would interpret this. It's really different, but I think it I think it's what ultimately Paul was going for. I, I think this is a this is a faithful hermeneutic. And it is a hermeneutic. I yeah, I don't think I could say it any better than what you just said, Josh. I think we're at the same place with this. To me, this passage has nothing to do with gender, at least as far as the hermeneutic that we uh, can form for today. If we're talking about exegeting it uh, and figuring out the original intent, yeah, sure. But even that should be seen only in the context of orderly, respectful and others-oriented honoring worship um mm. that's 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 the focus the entire focus here is on um focusing on others needs rather than 
on my own needs and and honoring other people and honoring God and the spirit of God in every person uh, while we are together in worship. Um, So that is a hermeneutic. That is the hermeneutic that we have arrived at whilst studying this passage. We haven't said everything that we probably could say about this passage. There's other details that we could probably get into. And there's probably stuff that you, the listener, have come up with that maybe we haven't come up with in forming your hermeneutic. But hopefully, at the very least, if you have come up with something different, that's fine. Uh, Hopefully, this has given you some tools to be able to develop a really robust hermeneutic for yourself. Yeah. And we would love to hear about all of your exegetical and hermeneutical adventures um, that we've helped you to endeavor on. And now you know what you can do next time you come across maybe a tricky passage or even not a tricky passage, you just want to dive deeper into it. Um, Now you've got tools and you've got some great boundaries in which to draw hermeneutic from. Um, So, yeah, I am really excited about to hear about how this helps you and what you guys end up doing with it and yeah send us send us some results we'd love to we'd love to read it hear it whatever be awesome so if you want to do that you can uh very easily go over to burnthehaystack.org uh there's an email form that you can send us a message there or you can just send us an email at burnthehaystackpodcast at gmail.com and if it's easier for you, you can always do it on our social media channels. If you want to be really, really cool and extra awesome, uh, record yourself asking your question and we will play it on the podcast. Uh, Apart from that, I hope that you really, really enjoyed this episode and uh, anything else left to uh, let people know, Josh? Did we mention you can, there can, no, we did. Yeah. We did mention there can be, you can come up with a different hermeneutic. Yeah, we did. Yes, yes we did. Okay. Great, great, great. <laughs> yes. All right. Just checking. Just want to make sure we've got a yeah. bow on this episode. Yep. Yes. Hey, we love to hear from you guys. So again, best way to connect with us, all links to social media, all that stuff, all on burnthehaystack.org and uh, leave us a review, all that kind of thing. Cause we love it when you do that. You guys are awesome. awesome. Uh, that's anything else to add, Jesse? That's, that's the lot. You guys are beautiful. We love you. Make some beautiful hermeneutics. Yes, stay awesome. That is Josh and Jesse out. I'm stopping recording.